I want to invite you to find the book of Proverbs. This is our sort of our first Sunday and sort of our second Sunday in our sermon series for these two months in the book of Proverbs. I'm just calling it wisdom for a new year. The idea is every year feels like a new start. People make resolutions, resolutions about how they use their money, how they look at work, how they uh, take care of their bodies. And what's underneath that is a desire to live wisely because we're made in God's image and we're meant to live wisely. But often our ability to live wisely does not match our desire to live wisely. So God has given us the book of Proverbs, which is all about wisdom. So we know that he wants us to live wisely. And we're going to apply ourselves to a different topic each Sunday in the book of Proverbs through February. And this Sunday, we're going to talk about wisdom and wealth. Wisdom and wealth. Now, there's many here among us. We all come from different places in regard to wealth. Um, you know, some of us are working harder than we've ever worked right now, working 40, 50, 60, 70 hour weeks, just working all the time. And we're just getting by. We're just putting food on the table. We're just keeping ahead of our bills. We're not able to save up great wealth or invest in stocks or any of that stuff. That's a whole nother thing. We're just surviving, working, surviving. Some of us are in that boat. Some of us are retired. And that whole, that whole time of life where you're working, 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 paycheck to paycheck is a thing of the past. And now you're enjoying the fruit of all your labor and the nest egg, the savings is now coming into great benefit. Some of us have a clean slate. Some of the, the younger ones among us have no great debt and have no great income and have no great responsibilities yet. So it's a clean slate. All of us, wherever you're coming from, are going to benefit from what God has to say about how to use wealth wisely. So the big idea, I'll give you the big idea now, trusting that you'll still hang with me through the rest of the sermon. This isn't an excuse to check out mentally. But the big idea about wealth in Proverbs, the secret of looking at wealth wisely is this. Wealth is for worship. Wealth is for worship. So we're only going to look at two verses in Proverbs. I thought about skimming over all the verses in Proverbs that deal with wealth, but that's just unmanageable for someone with my size mind. So we're going to look at two verses, Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10. And just remain seated, but do look at these verses either in your Bible or a pew Bible or up there on the screen. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I'm going to read it once more. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So wealth is for worship. Let's just step together through the passage. Okay. Honor. The word honor biblically, it comes, this is, you know, the Old Testament was originally written in mainly Hebrew. So this is a Hebrew idea translated into English. 
So my translation, the ESV says honor. Uh, Some of yours may say different things. The idea is weight. It comes from a word that has to do with weight and heaviness. So to honor someone is to recognize their weight, to recognize their, um, their heft, how substantial they are, how important they are. An honorable person is a weighty, important, a heavy person. This is what wealth is for, to honor the Lord. Now, whenever you see Lord in your Bible in all caps, like that, that wasn't a typo. Lord in all caps is a representation of Yahweh, which comes from a word that means basically to be. So this is something very interesting about God and our Lord that I think will help you to understand why we ought to honor him. Do you remember, you guys, if you haven't studied the book of Exodus, maybe you've seen the Ten Commandments or maybe you've seen the Prince of Egypt. When Moses is out shepherding and the burning bush is there and he goes up to it and it's God's voice in the burning bush talking to him. You guys remember either reading this or seeing this or hearing about it in Sunday school. So God through the burning bush is telling Moses, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh, this extremely powerful man and tell him to let all my people go because Pharaoh had enslaved God's people, Israel. So Moses had been out shepherding for decades and he wasn't good at speaking and He said, well, what if they ask me who sent me? And God said, tell them, who remembers it? I am sent you. What a weird way to respond. I am, tell them I am. But see, this is one of the core characteristics of our God. He is. Now that's deceptively simple. But perhaps the first and foremost thing we need to remember about our God is he is is you know all we know is life on the timeline seconds minutes hours days it's all measured i live and die by my little paper calendar some of you have it on your phones probably everybody but me now has it on their phones all we know is is life on this linear timeline but see god is not constrained by that God is outside of that. God created that. So you can say accurately, you know, you think back when it all began, you know, there was nothing and God out of nothing created everything. In the moment of creation, God is as equally as he is now. When Moses led the people of Israel out, I mean, yeah, the people of Israel out of Egypt and he split the Red Sea in that moment where the water started to part and everybody I would imagine started to just about faint, God is just like he is right now. When you were born, God is the day that you will die. God is the day that Christ returns. God is, he just is. There is no being like our God. There's no fact of reality like our God. He is the most central fact of all reality. And that's why when he said what his name was, he said, just tell him, I am sent you. If I were to ask you, what is your life's purpose? I wonder what you'd say. 
If you want to know how to be wise with your wealth, you really need to start here. Why are you alive in the first place? Why do we exist in the first place? Why did I am create us? Why did he create you? Do you remember from last week, those who were here, you know, we talked about the fact that we're going to be pursuing wisdom and we saw in Proverbs chapter one, what the very beginning of knowledge is. Do you remember what it is? What's the beginning of knowledge in Proverbs chapter one? The fear of the Lord, the proper reverence of the Lord, the proper understanding of who he is and who we are in comparison. See, our whole life is meant to revolve around the Lord. He is the existent one. He is the one. And everything needs to be seen in light of him. What did Jesus say the number one commandment is? Love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All these major foundational pieces have to be in place in your heart if you want to have any hope of living wisely in relation to wealth. The whole purpose of wealth is worship. The whole purpose of wealth is to honor the Lord, is to live in light of I am's weight. See, the Lord is the most important fact of reality. It is, he is the most important factor when you open your wallet. He is the most important factor when you balance your checkbook. The Lord is the most important factor when you're paying your bills. The Lord is the most important factor when you're at Costco or wherever doing your shopping. There is no factor that comes anywhere near as much important, as, that is heavy as the Lord. So we have to start here. So wealth is for worship. Honoring the Lord with wealth is showing the Lord as the heaviest, as the heaviest factor when we get and use and hold wealth. The, the, the idea is don't worship wealth, worship with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That word wealth there at the end of the first line, that word really is a little bit richer maybe than what you think of when you think of wealth. It has the idea of substance. It's your whole substance. It's your whole, the sum total of all your assets, everything you bring to the table. Now, it usually does mean material wealth. So think about your substance when you think of this. You know, back then it was an agrarian culture, so it would have been basically like crops and cattle pretty much is what it would have been, something associated with that. That's not what it is for most of us. So think about your substance. Think about your wealth, your assets. Everybody has a substance, even if it's the beggar on the side of the street, has the clothes on his back and maybe some change in his pocket. So think about your substance. Think about your wealth. Maybe you're young and all you have right now is the allowance from your parents and the stuff in your room. Maybe you're just starting out and you're, you have the income from your job and just a few possessions, maybe a car. Maybe you're, as I mentioned before, maybe you're elderly and what your substance consists of is the, the savings that you've had that you've built up through a pension or retirement. Maybe you're part of a family with children and I want you to think of just your, your, your net worth as that household. Just all your stuff, all you bring in, 
your substance. We're to use our substance to show that the Lord is the most substantial fact in reality. That's what it's there for. You know, a lot of people wonder, like a lot of people ask the how of money. How do we get it? How do we use it? But we never really ask the why of money. Why do we have it? We have it for worship. That's the only reason he gives it to us. It's like if you take your kids to a, I don't know, do people still go to arcades? I don't know, you take your kids to a fair arcade or something where you give them tokens to go play the games. That doesn't happen in arcades. Chuck E. Cheese, okay, you take your kids to Chuck E. Cheese. I, praise God, have never been to Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) But you give the kids tokens. What are you giving them to them for? Well, not to just hang on to, there's a purpose. You know, they're there to have fun and to use them. And your wealth isn't given to you just to hang on to. It's not an end in of itself. It's given to you for a temporary time span that you're going to be in Chuck E. Cheese, this earthly life. You've got this time span to use this wealth for a purpose. And the purpose is worship. Honor the Lord. That's why he gave it to you. And the time's going to come when you've got to leave Chuck E. Cheese. The time's going to come when you've got to go. And you've got to turn it all back in. It's not going to do you any good anymore. So it's a great privilege to be given wealth. You know, money problems are worship problems. Often wealth itself becomes the heaviest object in our lives, the most weighty, the most important. And we worship wealth. Or we worship comfort, and so we use our wealth to serve our God comfort. Or we worship leisure and entertainment, so we use our wealth to worship our God leisure and entertainment and distraction. Whatever it may be. Money problems are worship problems. So let's try to get practical. Proverbs is a very practical book. I heard someone say that Proverbs is uh, theology in work clothes. It's very, very practical. So I want to try to get sort of practical, not... I mean, you know this, but I have to say the disclaimer anyway, not as any sort of money guru. Man, I don't have a clue other than we have this. And so I've, I've had time. I've been able to study this. And so I'm coming to you with this. It's not Matt Broadway's top five money tips. <clears throat> what a foolish mistake it would be to follow that. But how do we honor the Lord with our wealth? Uh, I want you to think about it in, in three categories how to honor the Lord and the way you get wealth, the way you use wealth, and the way you hold wealth. Okay, so let's talk about how to honor the Lord as you get wealth. Proverbs thirteen eleven says, wealth gained hastily or by fraud. There's tricky to what English word to use there because Hebrew is just so different. So think of wealth gained hastily slash by fraud will dwindle. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. See, the idea getting wealth is the wise person does it little by little through everyday faithfulness, through everyday honest hard work. Beware the get rich quick scheme. Beware the pyramid scheme. Beware, if someone invites you into some business where you're going to get rich really quickly, but you have to pay in to become a part of it, say no thank you. If, if someone invites you to be a part of a business where you're going to make a lot of money really fast, 
and the main thing that you're doing is recruiting other people to also join the business and pay their dues, say no thank you. If, so, if you're invited to be a part of some business where they're, you almost can't even find what the product is, but mainly it's just recruiting other people, say no thank you. There, there are no shortcuts. If you think you found a shortcut to quick wealth, it's an illusion. It's a fool's choice. Beware the temptation to be dishonest to gain wealth, to gain it by fraud. Beware the temptation to fudge on the truth a little bit regarding your taxes, to build or gain and maintain your wealth. Beware the temptation to pull into the gas station and buy the lottery ticket. You're not going to win. And even if you did, wealth gained in that way dwindles. And you can look at the statistics. Proverbs is right. It does. Beware dishonest work practices. And I remember in seminary, I worked, I think I've shared with you all the jobs I've worked. I, by the way, do you realize this is now officially my longest stint in a job? <laughs> which actually just occurred to me as I'm talking. And I hope that it can I just had to find this is what I was looking for. But one of my many jobs I worked trying to get through Bible college and seminary was at a makeshift call center in the garage of one of our professor's houses. The whole thing's pretty shady now that I look back on it. But he, it was his garage and he had plywood dividers and old computers and headsets. And we were making calls for the Department of Transportation in like Detroit or something. It was a really random job. But we would get paid by the by the job itself. So they would pay us. Um, I think they paid this professor who hired us every week to pay his people for however many weeks it took to get the job done. So whatever speed we did our work determined how many weeks we had our job. Okay. So I remember one of the supervisors huddling us together and saying, we need to slow down. If we keep working this efficiently and this hard, we're going to be out of work in just a couple of weeks. So we need to slow down, take more breaks, take your time. We want to stretch this out. And, you know, I was basically a kid and there's a mob mentality. You know, everybody else was like, all right. And I'm very ashamed to say, I was like, all right. But one of us there, the son of our ethics professor was there. And I remember him, I looked at his face and he's, and he said, I remember what he said. He said, the ethics of this is staggering. <laughs> and that's when the conviction set in. I was like, man, he is right. This, we're supposed to be, we were all seminary students. <laughs> and he, this was a seminary professor's business. And that just shows you how easy it is. I mean, here we're Pharisees, basically, you know, in Pharisee training school, thinking that we're so holy, you know, how easy it is to try to cheat our way toward wealth. And that is not the way of wisdom. That is not the way of God. That's just not how reality is meant to work. So it'll always come back to bite you. Beware the temptation to try to gain fast wealth through fraud, dishonesty. It's, not, it's unwise. Now, we're going to talk more about this because one of the topics we're going to hit is going to be work. So let's move on from honoring the Lord and how we get wealth and just leave it at this. Wise people honor the Lord by working really hard. And working honestly and faithfully over a long period of time. And it builds little by little. 
So how about honoring the Lord as we use wealth? Well, our main passage deals with this. So let's just look at it from the angle that our passage does. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth and especially highlighted with the first fruits of all your produce. So this refers back to the practice where they would, you know, bring the first fruits of their crop or whatever it would be to offer and sacrifice in the temple. But the principle remains for us today, even though that's not what we do with our wealth. The first fruits. I want to read you something from, no, I'm not. It's like, I want to have time for the ending here. Um, basically, to boil this down, this is asking up front, how has God called me to worship him in regard to this wealth? This is beginning with that thought in mind and starting that way, as opposed to working your budget. And then at the very end, you get it all down, all your, you know, your fixed necessities, all your unfixed necessities, all your wants. And then you get down and there's like maybe 75 cents left. And you're like, okay, well, that's what I can work with to try to honor the Lord. It's starting at the front end of the process with our finances and saying, how does God want me to worship him with this wealth? And you know what? It may not look identical for each of us. Your Proverbs gives us all these principles. It doesn't give us the specific roadmap. We're all coming from different situations, different family situations, different people that we're responsible for. It may not look identical for all of us, but we have to start with that question in mind and then use the first of what we get, use the best of what we get. Not, not the leftovers. Budget around this goal of worshiping God, of honoring the Lord. So there's a debate, is tithing biblical? Well, there's no question that it's biblical in one sense. It was commanded in the Old Testament, but then people aren't so sure, does that carry over into the New Testament? And what I think is, I think that principle is sort of the the bare minimum. I think the 10% principle is sort of a good, let's not slide below that guideline. Okay, the the purpose is to be able to keep the body of Christ functioning. So I think the tithe is a good place to start. Um, but if you if you look at how the money was actually given, they would have given a lot more of their produce than just 10% when it came down to it. And even in the New Testament, you see how they collect special offerings to send the gospel to other churches and to support other people. And you see how they pull their resources to help those who are in need among them. You're going to be living the rest of your life surrounded by opportunities to, to give either to the church or to individuals. And you're going to need to evaluate those wisely and be as open to them as you possibly can. So for us, we have our um, official things at the church that you can give to. If this is what God is leading you to do with your wealth you know, just the general fund that keeps things going, that keeps the lights on, that uh, enables us to make repairs to our facilities and keep them up and running, that enables me to do this. Um, that's when you give to the offering. We have the deacon's fund, which is going all the time. I think you'd be surprised how much that money circulates, how much that gets used to help those among us who get into a bind and can't pay a bill. Uh, we have the food pantry that's always going on. When you're buying groceries, you can always buy a couple extra non-perishables and bring them. 
Um, in fact, we just got some new shelves in there, much sturdier, stronger, bigger, because we're using it more and more. Um, <clears throat> we have seasonal things like Penny Crusade, where we, which I think that we're going to do in March this year, where we try to raise up as much money as we can, and this is used for the world outreach of our denomination and our church. And then there's just general generosity. And that's not, that's not in the official categories of the church. That's in the unofficial, that's in the day-to-day, that's in the more messy decisions that we have to make every day. You, know, you get letters to support a missionary. Do you do it? Can you afford it? I don't know. You need to be wise. You need to pray about it. You know, you see, see the guy on the side of the road asking for money. Is that how God's called you to worship him? Do you give then? Do you stop and go talk to him and give? Or do you say, no, that's not what I do. Instead, I'm going to give to an organization that helps people all the way back up onto their feet. That's, these are the things that we need to wrestle with. But the, the banner over it all is, how has God called me to worship him with my wealth? Now, we're going to talk more about this next week because we're going to talk about wisdom and generosity. So let's move on, but that should be some food for thought to honoring the Lord as we hold our wealth. And again, our verse addresses this. So let's look at it in light of what our verse says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Do you think that this is an absolute promise? That if you honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce, that you will have the modern day equivalent of bursting barns and overflowing vats. That your bank account, the bank will not even know what to do with how much money you're putting in there. It's overflowing. They can't even store that much money. That, that your wallets will be splitting open. You can't even care. You have to have a rolling cart to pull it behind you. That is this an absolute promise? Or is it a principle? See, Proverbs is not about promises. It's about principles. It's Solomon's pursuit of wisdom, of wise principles for living, of how does the world work generally under God's care? So when you see something like this, don't take it as a promise. If you do this, then you can expect this every time. Take it as a principle. Generally, generally, this is how God's world works. When you go into Chuck E. Cheese, your father sees you using the tokens well and wisely and generously, he gives you more. Generally, that's how it works. You, God sees you honoring him with your wealth. Generally, you're faithful with a little. He'll let you be faithful over a lot. He'll give you more. There's a tension here. You, know, you have Proverbs like Proverbs 21.20, which says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. You, you have proverbs like this that make it sound like a godly, wise Christian should be very wealthy. But then you have teachings that Jesus gives us, like, for instance, in Matthew chapter 6. I'll start reading at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
See, there's this tension in scripture. Wise people are going to work hard and be productive and earn money. And they're going to have to store it someplace. You're going to need barns and vats. But then on the other hand, godly Christians are going to be detached from this world. They're not going to be living for full barns and overflowing vats. They're going to be investing in heavenly things. How do we live in this tension? And we need to address that. I can't, I do not understand how it's 12 o'clock. I have to address it though. So some of you may be familiar with the term prosperity theology or the prosperity gospel. Um, This is the idea that if you're faithful to God, he's going to give you a lot of money, good health, great stuff. Okay, it's just unbiblical. And I'm not going to go into all the reasons why, but it's unbiblical and dangerous. But you see how you can get there. If you're, if you're unbalanced in the tension over here, and you can start using God to get wealth instead of using wealth to worship God. But then on the other hand, there's something called poverty theology. And that says, well, all the holiest people are dirt poor. If you're not poor, you're not holy. And if you have a car that works, you can't be holy. Well, see, that's not biblical either. That's getting too far onto this side. That's idolizing poverty. So there's a tension to live in. And I'll just, I'll just say a few words about it. Not that I have mastered this, but just from my study in Proverbs and the rest of scripture, just thinking about that one I read to you, Proverbs twenty-one twenty. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. When you think about your wealth, think about it in terms of foolish, foolishness and wisdom. Foolishness consumes more than it brings in. Okay, just very simply, if you do look at your budget and you're spending more than you're earning, it's just not workable. And if you look at how your money's going out and you're seeing that you're just consuming it all, and it's not being used to honor the Lord or to serve other people. If it's being consumed with, you know, little monthly fees like Netflix or Hulu, little, little things like uh, the annual Carowinds um, seasons pass. I mentioned those because these are the things I'm trying to figure out if we should be doing or not. <laughs> it's, it's the little things. Are, are we just consuming our wealth for ourselves? Because when we do that, If we get too far into the poverty side, there's a lot of ways in which we cannot invest in heavenly things. When you get the mail, the letter from your friend who's been called to the, to missions overseas and they want some support, you can't do it. You don't have any money. You've consumed it all. Or your, you know, your brother or sister in Christ, something terrible happens and they're just in desperate need and you want to help them but you don't even have the room in your budget to make a meal for them. You just, you've consumed it all. You're too tight. You're running too tight. See, wise people are productive and thus they do produce wealth over time. Not, not huge all of a sudden, but little by little they build wealth, but not for the purpose for just keeping it in the barns and the vats, but to use it. What's wealth for? Worship. So the wise worshiping man or woman, if God gives him more wealth, he's not using it to hang on to for security and for comfort and trust. He's using it to worship. And the more that God gives him, the more he uses it to glorify God's name, to send the gospel to people that don't have it, to serve his brothers and sisters. 
The wise man is shrewd enough with his money that he's able to invest in heavenly things with it. Yeah, I remember I've told you this before, but when I felt called into to go to Bible college, thinking I was going to do youth ministry, I mean, I was, I was a fool. And I'm a recovering fool still. But I, I gave no thought to how I was going to pay for it. <laughs> no, I didn't think about it at all. How can you do that? Who, who is that foolish? But I, I was going. I knew I was going. The deadline was approaching. I hadn't even thought about how I was going to pay for it. And this older gentleman at my church, whom I don't remember ever actually speaking with, named Mr. Duncan. He's actually visited here once. Gave my pastor a check to give to me because he heard I was going to Bible college and he had been wise with his money and he was older and retired and he just, he had available wealth to invest in heavenly things. And so he wrote a check, gave it to my pastor to give to me so I could go to school. And he gave it to me. I thought it said $500 and I was blown away by the generosity. And then I saw the other zero. He had given me $5,000 which actually was very close to what I needed to be able to survive that year. I want to be able to do that. (laughs) I want so bad to be able to do that kind of stuff. And if you want to be able to do that kind of stuff, if you want to be able to invest in the larger ways, you're going to have to be wise and faithful over a long period of time to have the freedom to do it. Now, you know, I'm already five minutes over. There's so much to be said about this. There are so many particulars each of your situations is so specific, so complex, and, and I cannot, we can't possibly address it all. But thankfully, that's why God gives us his living and active word. It's sharp and penetrating, and it's the light into our path with these things. So maybe one place for us to start is studying through Proverbs. You know, you may have more questions raised by this study than answers, and that's okay. Let it send you in here because God says, if any of us lacks wisdom, ask him and he gives it generously. Wealth is for worship. And the general, princip- the general principle here is, if you use your wealth well to worship, generally speaking, God will give you more. Not so you can hoard it and it can become your God, but so you can keep using it to keep honoring the Lord. Now, let's be honest for just a moment before we close. Um, Money problems are worship problems. Worship problems are heart problems. And we can't solve our own heart problems. We can do some behavior modification work. We can uh, read a book, get better at budgeting. But we can't solve that problem in our hearts where we worship wealth instead of God or we worship comfort instead of God or we worship image instead of God. That's not something we have the power to control. That's We need Jesus Christ here. If we want to be wise with our wealth, first and foremost, we need Jesus Christ. We need him to change our hearts, to forgive us for where we have squandered our wealth foolishly through idolatry, to give us new hearts that are soft toward God and that see him for who he is, the great I am, and want to honor him. So the way we've structured the service is the final thing is going to be our offering. Now, this may seem manipulative, like I'm trying to get you in here, make you feel terrible, and then pass the plate. And it's not. I've always wanted us to think of the offering as part of the worship. That's why we always say, if you've caught it, when we get to the offering, we say, now we're going to continue our worship through giving our tithes and offerings. If this is one of many ways God may be calling you 
to honor him with your wealth. Okay, so don't feel, I'm not trying to manipulate you. In fact, if you're visiting, I don't want you to give anything. It's not what this is. We're not trying to bring you in, get your money, send you out. Um, you know, what I want as your pastor is for you to be joyful and at peace. And I know that happens when we're in right relationship with our Lord. And I know part of that is using our wealth correctly. So we're going to do our offering now, and it's going to be sort of a, a quiet time as the plates pass, a time for us to reflect and respond, however the Lord may be leading us. And then our closing song is going to be the doxology, which we sing every week. This week, the lyrics are going to be on the wall and actually look at what they say and sing them in response to what we've heard from God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Proverbs. And I just, I think representing us all, I need to confess before you that we all are very foolish and we all need wisdom. We want to use our wealth to honor you with the first fruits of all of our produce. Please show us how each individual one of us, please make it crystal clear how you would have us to respond and obey and to live in light of how you've structured reality reality to be to live in light of this principle. Help us be a church that honors you with our wealth. In Jesus' name, amen.